I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the year in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Miguel Delaney. On this end-of-year, start-of-year edition, what should we expect in football on the continent in 2024, Champions League-wise, and what about the Club World Cup? And what do Europe's best, who are far from their best, need in 2024 to be the best, if you know what I mean? Which players are needed where and which coaches too? Uh, Miguel... I think we'll start with this question about what should we expect from football on the continent in 2024? Because, of course, the European uh, Court of Justice has already given its thoughts with regards to the Super League and uh, adjudicated on that just a week or so ago. How does that change the game? How does that change what we can expect in European football in 2024? Uh, It doesn't really, but the main change is inherently connected to that because... By far the biggest um, element we're going to see in 2024 is the new Champions League, which is essentially an institutionalised Super League. And from talking to people to... And actually, just one point on that as well. There's kind of a great irony about this, because just at the same time as Florentino Perez and Barcelona are trying to upend European football and bring in their own Super League, which would give more power to them... Well, this 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 current model, or this model that's going to come in in twenty twenty four, this Swiss system Champions League, that comes from the landscape they created. It comes from their plans, so they're railing against the world they created. But this could create a hinge moment of football. It, it's possible 
the um, or sorry, I should say another hinge moment football. It's possible this new Swiss system Champions League works, um, because it's kind of trying to, it's trying to I suppose compromise on many different issues at once. One being distribution of wealth, another being the big clubs want to play each other more, more guarantees of games in the Champions League. So it's trying to solve all those issues. It could lead to a happy compromise. Now it's been one of the problems UEFA have had is that it's difficult to grasp for people. Uh, but from speaking to people who are actually involved in the modelling of it, they think that once it gets going, it will become pretty clear and that it, it, in their modelling, it did work quite well. But if it doesn't work and if it doesn't take, then I think we'll see all this Super League um, problem or issue come around with much more force again because clubs will be looking to alternatives. And, I, and this is... One, we've discussed this on the show so much, but uh, one of the problems running through football, European football right now that is in a strange way, empowering the Super League project, even though it would appear to run against those interests, is that UEFA have overseen a landscape that is essentially breaking. To be powerful in European football now, to be a challenger, you've got, the by economic design now, you've got to basically be a big club in a big city, in a, in a big country. Uh, and that only applies to about 12 clubs. Uh, so there are already a lot of clubs across Central Europe railing against this, looking for alternative. The new Champions League offer one for the moment, but let's see how successful it is. But and that is the the hinge issue for twenty twenty four whether the new Champions League works as well as to go with. I mean, it, it's interesting we've got the Euros then just before it, of course, because it's suddenly from from about two decades where the club game had, I suppose, overtaken the international game to a really strong degree. It almost feels like the club or the international game is it has this purity that the club game no longer does because it's just basically countries representing their area. They can't go out and buy players to make perfect squads, and even the biggest countries have to compromise. I guess that's the overwhelming thing, isn't it, from this ECJ judgment, Miguel? The f- the fact that if it wasn't clear to people before, it should have been clear when we see the similarities between the new format of the Champions League and what A22 are proposing. It's close enough that it should be underlining for people that this is never really about the format, is it? It's about the power to be able to organise something outside the jurisdiction of UEFA. So the, the actual format of it, I mean, it completely undercuts the the argument about, you know, what's good for European football that Florentino Perez has been rather piously peddling over the last couple of years because it's not like that at all. I guess the question I've got for you, Miguel, is in terms of this new Champions League format, which I, I guess in a way could work as a sort of a trial of how the ESL format might work or the format that they want to use at the moment might work. Um, You talked about how, and we've talked before about how there's this sort of middle class of European football that's been left out in recent years in in the Champions League. And it's, it's, it's an economic thing to do with TV rights, of course. But, you know, you look at clubs like um, Ajax and Benfica, traditionally huge names, of the European game who are a little bit disenfranchised, who are not really, apart from 2019, which was an exceptional year for Ajax when they nearly got to the final, is they're not really in a position to consistently challenge because the financial gulf is is just so huge. I mean, I think when you look at that group of clubs, and I think you can look at like the big ones from 
even smaller markets. So if you look for like a, a Shakhtar Donetsk or a, a Galatasaray or something like that, does this new format of the Champions League, even if we can look at it as sports fans, and this is what it's all about, sports versus entertainment, we can look at it and think, this is probably going to throw up more dead rubbers. There's going to be a, a lot more a lot more ballast in, in this competition. If you're a Shakhtar or a Galatasaray, does this really work for you because you've got extra guaranteed games and extra guaranteed money? Well, I mean, I have to say, once I started looking into this, and probably part of me did want to hate it, <laughs> I didn't hate it as much as I thought. I mean, because it does <laughs> feel like it potentially solves a lot of issues as you go. Uh, but like, I mean, because even what the, the point you're saying, so like the, the, even stuff like the danger of a system like this is that it very quickly a core of clubs will get in front um, and they'll be true and lo- we'll have loads of dead rubbers. But I suppose one potential check against that is it's not just going to be, you know, it does it, it, not the direct effect of, say, if Atletico Madrid are in a group with Club Brugge, they beat them twice and that's that. That's pretty much the group settled. Uh, Atletico Madrid will have more varied ties, so it'll keep a bit of vitality to it. And secondly, it feels so kind of um, uh, staggered in terms of who gets through where there's obviously the initial qualifiers, then there's these series of playoffs. So it does keep more life in the truth. And it, it does feel like almost kind of, um, <laughs> you know, this this sort of assembling a tournament in response to what happens as it goes. Well, exactly what you say. Oh, would this would this mean clubs like Shakhtar Donetsk, the way that they'll be lower down, so they, suddenly they're playing loads of dead rubbers? Well, no, because then suddenly there's this backdoor entry into another playoff to potentially get them through. Uh, it's not ideal, but then I suppose that that comes from a situation where the structure of European football is not ideal. Because I mean, I mean, to me, as as and this is a discussion that's come up from the World Cup. It's actually a discussion that should frame the forthcoming European Championships as well. The the, the core of four team groups and two get two get through. That is brilliant. That's the way football should work. But it only works if there's relative competitive balance and teams can take points off each other as a matter of course. Yeah. That's not the case in a, in a financially polarised European football. So really this is addressing the the issue UEFA actually have is financial polarisation. But when the big clubs have so much power, they can't really address that. And you can see it now with the Super League. So their, their compromise is basically to try and um, affect the structure instead. Uh, Andy, do, do you hate the format less than you thought you would hate it the new format you know i I won't know until it's it's started so bring on 2024 i think because i I have to say it's it's not i don't think it's just recency bias but the, the the way that the last group stage of the champions league as we know it finished um i did think yeah i'll miss this and that was with relatively little in terms of qualification, riding on those final set of match day six group games. You know, I, I think, um, you know, there, there, there are issues of, of, of competitive imbalance in, in, in European football. Of course there are. I'm not sure this this reformatting necessarily addresses that, but, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see. It, it, it does seem like it's more edged towards guaranteed money. It's more edged towards entertainment than, than, than sport, which I, I, I guess is... Is, is the issue that, that I would have with it. But, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see because I, I think it's cyclical. You have had t- 
times in the past when the group stages of the Champions League have looked very uncompetitive as well. Now, the, the fact that I think the the, the, the top eight um, teams, uh, the top eight countries in the co- coefficient have had their champions um, go immediately into part one has definitely helped with that. I, I think that has, that has made a difference. So the adjustment in the seeding, and I, th- I think that's the thing, like the adjustments as you go along are something that's very, very important in this, in this competition. This is going to be very important in, in, in future competitions as well. I guess, Miguel, the, the question that I would ask, going back to that sort of, that middle class and the guaranteed money, and traditionally, I mean, they're not in the best shape at the moment, but you think of like an Olympiakos or a, a, a team like that. What happens to these leagues where, where you tend to have the same clubs in the top bracket like say Portugal Turkey are an example um the, 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 the Netherlands yeah you re- you rarely get a, a total outsider winning I guess the question I, I really have is not about um the one that we normally have when we look at this um reformatted Champions League slash ESL format when we think are we just going to get like is the, the games between the biggest teams are going to be less special and we, we're going to see too much of it and we're going to get bored of it. My question is, what does it do to those middling leagues that have already been indelibly damaged? And, you know, I'm thinking of Norway and Greece in particular by Champions League money because it's just so much and it creates a, a, a state of almost financial impregnability for those clubs that are consistently in it. Funnily, that's actually one aspect of the ECJ ruling last week that hasn't been picked on or picked up on. Now that's natural because of the headlines, but within the ruling, they did address, especially given so much of this was related to competition law. Um, but they did address how the Champions League there is an issue with the distribution of wealth, and that by its nature kind of creates these inequalities. Uh, so, mm. a, a, a potential next step is this is something that um, that has to be looked at. Because, yeah, I mean, this has been the greatest issue with the Champions League, really. That it's been this engine of, arguably the biggest engine of inequality in European football, as much within the small leagues as the biggest leagues. Because once you get in, as you, as you point to, Andy, and right to the mid-leagues, once you get into it, there's this huge prize money uh, and it basically distorts everyone below you uh, domestically. And that is something they've never really resolved because then, of course, there has to be the kind of the incentive of getting there be, uh, with that driven by the biggest clubs. But, I mean, and it, it's funny, it's interesting. Like, so the European leagues, the body that re- uh, represents all of the domestic leagues, they've been pushing for years to increase prize money, or sorry, to increase what's called solidarity money, which is... The, the prize money generated for the Champions League that goes to clubs that haven't qualified for European competition. Now, their ideal is 20%, which would be quite healthy. What's it actually been in practice? It's been hovered between 5 and 8%. And in, in two of the previous, or two of the last three rounds, it's actually mm. gone down, which tells you a lot about, kind of, I suppose, the direction of European football in that regard. Um, so if, if if that was to be increased, that, um, that starts to solve issues. But it's funny, from, from talking to more and more people in football, uh, and it, it's where there was actually another uh, <laughs> instructive um, ruling last Thursday uh, that was probably a little bit overlooked because at the same time as that uh, Super League case, there was also a case taken by Am- Antwerp on homegrown players. 
which is basically challenging uh, the UEFA rule that club or the players from the same federation um, are considered homegrown to meet your quota. Uh, and that this was, uh, but, but so what that essentially means is, say you you say you, you have to, you have to have four homegrown players in your squad. But if one of those players say, say you're Manchester United and you've got a player that's come from Stoke City because it's only an hour away, to to protect the kind of the reality of the situation that he's not moving that far, um, you know there could be all sorts of life decisions why he's moved, whatever about the size of United against Stoke before you get into that. But that should be considered homegrown. Whereas by European law now, that's considered essentially indirect discrimination because you're you're essentially discriminating on the basis of of uh, national federation. So by extension, it's discriminating on the basis of um, of of nationality. When of course, and it's one reason we can't have a a foreign player rule anymore because because of the EU rules. But what that might do now is actually force more clubs to have ho- direct homegrown players. And actually, I mean, while people might think that's very stringent. In the in the world we're in football, that's probably healthier. Uh, it encourages clubs to be more community based. It also, by definition, prevents them just buying more players or bringing in more players, which which affects this uh, this polarization. But because uh, it, it's also something that people have been, for all we're talking about distribution of resources here in terms of pure money, to actually have a real effect in terms of making fo- European football more balanced, you can't just have distribution of resources. You also need distribution of talent. That's been one of the major issues in European football. Now they can't they can't do a foreign player rule anymore because of these EU laws. But you can seek to have the same effect from different directions, one of them being encouraging more homegrown players. And if that was to come in, that is a potential solution for for a, a lot of these medium to smaller sized clubs while also uh, hopefully aiding the vitality of domestic leagues. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So that's an excellent summation of what we can expect in 2024. Uh, But let's not forget the football. And you mentioned uh, 
the distribution of talent, Miguel, a moment or two ago. Uh, this other issue, really, Andy, is what we've got to address here. Uh, Europe's best teams have got most of the talent, but yet they're not necessarily firing, you know, in the way that they perhaps would need to. So let's go through some of those teams. Bayern Munich, PSG, Real Madrid. What do these big teams in Europe need in 2024 to be, well, the best that they hope to be? Well, it, it sounds weird when we've been talking about talent hoarding and the rest of it, but the first answer is bodies, really, because we saw that just before um, Christmas, the fact that Bayern were getting down to the bare bones. Real Madrid, who will come to in a minute, have had a real injury crisis in the first half of this season, and it's remarkable that they're up where they are in La Liga and they've done as well as they have in the the Champions League when you consider that, uh, that they've had to, 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 to make do. And yeah, world's smallest violin, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the the reality is, I, I think this is, this, this is part of two things. One, in terms of Real Madrid, there's been some conscious belt tightening over the past five or six years, um, rebuilding the stadium, redeveloping the stadium, of course, um, a half a million euro project, and also getting some massive earners off the, the wage bill, which is how they got themselves in the position to buy Bellingham and how they'll be ha- having a pop at Mbappe in, 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 in 2024. Um, but I, th- I think as well, is is part of... Um, the schedule of football. And, you know, we've had this discussion with um, the reformatting of the the Club World Cup um, from 2025, which is, is clear from what players have said so far that a lot of them are absolutely dreading it, that they're having a summer off taken away from them. And, you know, it's it's another, um, another burden. Yeah, I know it's a privilege to play football at the top level, but it is, it is a burden. Every, everyone needs a break. And I think when you look at what's happened at Bayern and what's happened at, at Real Madrid, um, part of it is just wear and tear because they're, they're playing too much football. And, you know, the, the amount of wealth they've got, the amount of talent they've got is no real protection against that. Now, if you're talking about what they need to do in the January window, Bayern, obviously, they need a new defensive midfielder. That's really what they want. And um, I think Joao Polinia is, is not impossible. Uh, of course, he nearly signed for them from uh, Fulham uh, at, at the end of last summer's window. But it, it is a difficult deal to do in January. There's 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 no doubt about that. Um, so they've been looking at potentially cheaper options at the moment. Real Madrid might be fallen forced into a not entirely dissimilar situation because of course you look at all the injuries they've had already and you look at uh Chumeni, uh Militao, Courtois, uh Camavinga, um Vinicius all, all before Christmas. And now the big one is David Alaba. Now that is something that they need to address because that's an ACL so he's out for the season. It it seems unlikely that he'll make uh, the European Championships with Austria as well. And Alaba's like such a big leader and he's so versatile Huge. as well that you know they, they can't just make do and mend. So what they've been doing with the striker situation in terms of um Hosilu and they'll just do with him with Jude Bellingham just playing off him for this year, 
okay, fine. And for what it's worth, they definitely could do with another striker, although I'm not sure if they go and get one in January. But the defensive thing, they need to address. And of course, when you're getting a player that will be impactful, if you're Real Madrid, it's a really, really tricky deal to do in January. And traditionally, Real Madrid and Barcelona don't like to do January transfer business. They like to be set before then. And Mikel, uh, in terms of January transfer window, uh, who do you see or what have you heard about people moving from one place to another? Um, again, I suppose there's been a trend of European football. The um, the main business will be done in the Premier League uh, and maybe some of the big, uh, big clubs. Andy's referenced it there. Bayern Munich obviously want a defensive midfielder. In fact, really what's going to happen with Bayern Munich in January is essentially a direct continuation of what happened right up to the very final minutes of the window in, in at the end of August when they were on the brink of signing a defensive midfielder but essentially ran out of time. And I was at Bayern's game against United last week or two weeks ago. And even looking at that, it was I suppose it was essentially a bit of a dead rubber for Bayern. But you, you can see the way the, the entire shape of Tuchel's team, everything he's planning, is essentially dependent on having that defensive midfielder. Like, everything is contingent on that. Uh, and while they haven't been that convincing this season, uh, I do think, and they've conceded a lot of goals, I think if they have that one player, you can suddenly see how it would fit, and then I think they become potentially a very different proposition for for the Champions League. And, you know, while I would still almost by, by default now say City are the favourites, given their form, if they can't solve some of the issues they've got, that could well become Bayern if they get the right defensive midfielder and it works straight away. As Andy said there, it would be Palinha. Um And I, I I think that could very well be, obviously separate to uh, what the Premier League might do. I mean, Arsenal could be considered similar challengers to Bayern, say, against City in the in the Champions League. Um, they, they, they're they looking at four positions, but can probably only decide on, on one or two dependent on if that position is going to be a striker because it's talk they'll go for Ivan Tony and he wants to go there. Uh, but that would be, the, I think, the, the main moves as regards the um, what, like what the Champions League might look like. I, th- I think the other thing is the, the, the moves that are less easy to foresee are the ones, those sort of make do and mend things. Once you get to like the second or third week of the window and you haven't really got what you want and you need some sort of solution. Now, Bayern have already hinted at that. When you look at the sort of moves that they've been making, when they were looking at getting in an extra defender at the start of the season, so they were looking at um, out-of-contract players. You know, they came close to signing Socrates before he went to Real Betis. Um, that they were really interested in bringing back Jerome Boateng before, who's been out of Nick for a couple of years, by the way. Although, obviously, he's looked great in training, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, until the fans protested because of the domestic violence case against him. So I wonder if maybe, because we, we talked um, towards the end of December about the fact that Bayern have the absence of Kim hanging over them uh, for the Asia Cup. Um, he'll be going off with South Korea and they might miss him for a few weeks. He is their best defender now as well, which is an issue. I wonder if a possible solution, for example, and there's been a bit of interest before, if they were to bring in Eric Dyer, who can be a sitter and a centre-back. So I think that sort of versatility and that sort of deal is the sort of one that we should maybe be looking at. I mean, PSG's problems are a little bit different because really they're in a transitional period. So... 
if they don't quite get something over the line right now, maybe it's wearable because they're not necessarily expected to win the Champions League. Luis Enrique is not necessarily expected to win the Champions League this season. But they're really lacking that bit of creativity in midfield. Now, we're talking about difficult problems to solve in January. That is a really difficult one to solve in the winter market. And of course, the type of creative midfielder that you bring in might be different if you've still got Kylian Mbappe in oh. eight months' time and if you haven't got Kylian Mbappe in eight months' time. That's a final point from you on this, Miguel. Uh, Kylian Mbappe seems to be the cloud hanging over the January transfer window, even though he's not moving in January, but ultimately where he ends up in the summer is what might affect the January transfer window, do you not think? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those transfers, isn't it, where we talk about this a lot on the podcast, where there's always, there are always these deals in every window that it's not just a big saga in terms of the player and the club he goes to. It's one of those where a whole load of other issues are dependent on it. And that, that is one of them, um, where Mbappe goes. Uh, also because of how it influences how PSG might might need to think this, this uh, January. Um, now, everyone, of course, expects Mbappe to go to Real Madrid in the summer. Um, but PSG are in a bit of an interesting one here. I mean, I know we, we talk about how it's quite clear from the Champions League campaign that they need creativity. But that comes in the context where Luis Enrique is basically trying to... He, he's, one of those, he, he's one of those coaches where it's a little bit like Pochettino where the creativity or at least the potential attacking power comes from how the team goes at you. It's a collective thing. And it's why, also like Pochettino, uh, which is why Pochettino was the wrong manager for Paris Saint-Germain two or three years ago, they're, they work better with younger players who are more malleable and basically more willing to follow instructions, which is, I suppose, the way the PSG team is going. Um, I think it's probably, I mean, who knows the way a you know, Champions League can go, especially if there's a bit of fallibility among the main contenders. But it does feel too early for this particular PSG to be thinking about winning it. In fact, I think there are, there's a real chance Real Sociedad can knock them out. Uh, but I, I would think that what PSG would do is continue to prioritise young talent, um, particularly young French talent. It, it, it's obvious they've had this uh, this shift in policy, which is related to, I suppose, what they want is a, a shift in identity. Well, thank you both of you uh, for tonight and for this year. And thank you for listening to On The Continent. Make sure that you join us again tomorrow for the final Ask OTC of the year, where Andy and Lars Severston will be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.